it out. Chant it out. Hello and welcome to episode 129 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week we are once again reaching into the ranks of the LAFC fans, but this time going all the way across the pond to find it. Our guest today will be Joe Reese. He is an LAFC super fan hailing all the way from London, England. He is a drum educator and session musician. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week will be Jackson Feltz. Returning once again, the host of Sounders weekly pre- and post-game coverage for 93.3 FM KJR. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer. Christian Aparicio, unfortunately unavailable this evening, but Christopher Signs joining me. Chris, good evening, brother. How you doing? What's up, Black and Gold family? Glad to be back with you guys, especially after a win and looking forward to the match this Friday against the Sounders. Speaking of wins, we went into Kansas City and defeated Sporting Kansas City 2-0 in an incredibly hot game. We saw an early yellow from Acosta, which means he will be out due to yellow accumulation for our game versus Seattle. A rough first half as players were adjusting to that heat and humidity. Uh, Sifu had a shot cleared off the line by Ndenbe. And just when it looked like we were mired in a difficult performance, we launch out into the second half with none other than Chicho Arango finding the back of the net. And then, of course, the eyes of the world on LAFC as Gareth Bale makes his second appearance for LAFC and this time has his debut goal for the black and gold. The first of many, a clip I'm sure you all have seen many many times. It was an interesting game for LAFC. They were out-possessed 60-40, out-passed 470-320. to They had the lower pass accuracy at 88-81. to They had fewer corners at 7-6. to They were out-crossed 16-2. But despite all of that statistical dominance for SKC, it's LAFC that comes out with the W. LAFC now have set the MLS record for goals by substitute with our 13th substitute scoring on the season. And we still got 15 games left to play. Bale becomes the 15th different LAFC player to score this season. Wow. What a game. Your thoughts, Amigo? I think it's impressive. I think it shows the depth. I was on Jackson Feld's show actually today. We did the recording for his broadcast that they're going to do for their radio show for the preview. And you know, when we talked about it, it, it's a stat that needs to be recognized, obviously, for this record to have been broken at 13. And we're so far into only a little over halfway in the season. I think that it's definitely something that fans who any fan, whether you're a casual fan or a hardcore fan, you're going to see that that number is a very influential number when it comes to the wins. When you look at LAFC as a total, they have 42 goals for this season and 28 of them have come in the second half, which is typically when you have a substitute. So to have 28 of the 42 goals, that only leaves us with 14 goals scored in the first half. I mean, it just shows the amount of, of depth and, and lethal ability that we have on our bench. I couldn't agree more. And I think the key to LAFC's success this season, you look at it, it's Dolo in the second half. The people that we are able to bring in off the bench could be in a starting 11 for any team in this league. It is absolute firepower coming off that bench. And when you've been winded and gassed in 45 minutes of 105 degree weather with 50% humidity, and all of a sudden you've got to deal with the likes of a Gareth Bale coming in off the bench, it's over. And that has been the key to LAFC's success. They steamroll through another second half. 
Obviously, it's fantastic to see Bale get out and score his first goal. A beautiful interception. He makes a one-touch pass to find Chicho. Chicho feeds the ball back to him. And then, you know, like uh, one of the SKC fans said, he just passes it casually into the back of the net like he wasn't you know beating two different defenders and a keeper it was just a casual goal for him strolling through and then a fantastic celebration and shouts to the homie I'm at with LAFC photo I mean he took an absolutely beautiful pick there of that celebration between Kilini and Bale going on on the bench and you know look it's it's champagne football right now everything is going our way and on that note Chris there is another big name on the roster for LAFC. But before we dive into that, do you have any final thoughts on this game versus SKC? You know, I think that when you look at all of the stats of how LAFC had been outpossessed, outpassed, outcornered, outcrossed against a team like Sporting Kansas City, you know, granted it was the heat, granted it was some of the, the inclement weather. Again, those are still concerns that are not ones that I love. Sporting Kansas City has not been doing well so far this season. They're in last place in the Western Conference. So I would like to have believed that even with the weather being what it was, that LAFC still would have been able to outperform a squad like this. And if LAFC were to play like this, against a stronger opponent like this upcoming Friday, Seattle, I'm not sure that the results would be the same. I think, you know, look, there are certain teams that are incredibly successful in just playing minimal possession and counterattacking football. I mean, look at the thrashing the Red Bulls put on Austin, although Austin ended up making a game of it towards the end. I mean, if you try and possess, pass out the back and, and try and control the game versus some of those teams, they're going to pick you apart on a counterattack. So to me, it's not so much that SKC dominated in the statistics as much as it might be LAFC just taking a slightly different approach, maybe trying to conserve some of that energy and play a counterattacking style of, of football, which of course led to the most watched goal in the MLS this week in Gareth Bale's uh, you know, steal and then finding the whack of the net there. So, you know, who knows if that's something that uh, was drawn up on the sheet that they were going to yield possession and counterattack, let SKC, you know, toil in that heat and humidity and expend their energy trying to break us apart. Who knows? I still think this is a team that would like to possess the ball, would like to play a little bit more free flowing and beautiful football. But even when we lose the vast majority of the statistical side of the game, we still came out with a handy 2 0 victory. So, I will take it. And just as things are all rosy for the black and gold, it does appear as though we have another player showing up to take a bite out of MLS. And that is, of course, the rumors that dropped today of none other than Luis Suarez to LAFC. Now, this was tweeted out by Taylor Twelman. So take that for what it's worth. But he is hearing that there are advanced negotiations between LAFC and Luis Suarez. Now, certainly, this is a player that comes with a back of the card with some incredible numbers on it. He has been a prolific goal scorer at virtually every place in his career, whether it's Barcelona, Liverpool, Ajax, Atletico Madrid. This guy has certainly dominated everywhere he's been. Even recently, in his last campaign for Atletico Madrid, he had 11 goals in 35 matches. A season prior to that, 21 goals in 35 matches. So there's definitely a lot of upside to him as a footballer when it comes to his ability to find the back of the net. However, we are certainly talking about a player that has been mired in controversy throughout his playing career as well, too. Three infamous times in which 
he took a bite out of another player on the pitch. Obviously, one of those players being LAFC's own Giorgio Chiellini during that infamous moment in the final of the group stages during the 2014 World Cup. He has also found himself on the bad side of some match restrictions for running his mouth and saying inappropriate things at other points in time, although the the true information about some of those events remains unclear. We're certainly not talking about a player that is going to win the Hallmark Award for being the kindest guy out there on the pitch. But sometimes that striker takes a little bit of fight, my friend. So despite all the optics around this potential signing, what are your thoughts about potentially getting Luis Suarez? As a Liverpool fan, the resident Liverpool fan on this podcast, I don't hate it. You know, he is a very, very deadly striker. He knows how to score. He's definitely the out and about number nine. However, I don't think that Luis Suarez is necessarily the best fit for our club right now. We have a lot of things working for us. Chicho Arango has done very well as that number nine striker. And, you know, Luis Suarez has has been known to have an influence in a locker room. I like Luis Suarez and his ability. I'm just not sure it fits in with our, with our chemistry and our club, you know. But if he comes here with the right attitude and the right work ethic, I think it would work out great. But... You know, how does that affect Chicho Arango? Are we then going to look to maybe offload him? Are we going to look to have him be a sub in? We are now getting extremely deep at this striker positions. Gareth Bale, Carlos Vela, Brian Rodriguez, Apoku, Arango, potentially Suarez. I mean, it is so many different people. The Moose, right? There's, there's so many different people that are going to be able to influence this front three that I'm not sure how it's all going to work out and all the players are going to get the minutes that they desire. Touche. Valid point. And I think you don't bring in a number nine without somebody up front departing. Now, I think a lot of people have instantly assumed that that means Chicho Arango is on the way out with him having been rumored to depart already. But Brian Rodriguez also being shopped around as well, too. He occupies that DP slot that we would assume Luis Suarez would come in on. I mean, if we sign him on another TAM deal, my goodness, the pitchforks and torches are going to come to the bank. So I think we'd have to assume that Suarez would arrive as a designated player, but You never know. Maybe JT's got more allocation money magic up his sleeve that could potentially alleviate that. We do have the open DP slot. You do need to have one of those three DPs be part of the U22 initiative if you want to keep all three of those slots. However, at the moment, I think LAFC only have one U22 slot occupies, which means that we could go out and have three DPs that are not part of the U22 initiative. But the way Arango is playing right now and the way that Raito has never really taken that step forward for us, if I'm JT, it's going to be hard to move on from a player like Arango that seems to be scoring in every single game he gets in. And a player like Raito that's really struggled and, and hidden at times when, you know, we expect big things from him given his designated player spot. So I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think Luis Suarez arrives unless someone else goes. Like a lot of people think that's going to be a Rongo. If I was a betting man, I would probably put my money on Raito instead. That still frees up that third designated player spot to go out and get somebody part of the U22 initiative, which opens up so much salary cap relief in those 
other two U22 initiative spots that uh, I think it would be silly for LAFC not to go out and take advantage of that. But uh, you bring up some good points, my friend. Any final thoughts on the potential Luis Suarez edition? No, I think that we've talked about it enough. It'll be interesting to see, you know, and I, I do know that regardless of Luis Suarez's uh, overall history, John Thornton and Will Koontz have come on our show and other shows, and they have both said that the right player at the right time. And if they decide to bring him in or anyone else, they've done their due diligence. So, you know, I think that especially after everything that's gone on this year, anyone that they bring in that may be a bit controversial, I think that we need to give those two people in the front office the due diligence and the respect to assume that they've done what they have to do to make sure that it's the right move for the club. Yeah. And, you know, in, in deference to Luis Suarez, he certainly behaved himself over the course of the last seven, eight years since that final incident, there really hasn't been much out there that, uh, you know, has his name on the naughty list since then. So, you know, maybe he's turned a new leaf and and is a new man and and deserves uh, allowing him the opportunity to grow and change and make up for his amends. We've certainly all made our mistakes in life and uh, everybody deserves a second chance and some forgiveness. And I think if uh, he ends up coming to the black and gold, there will certainly be a lot of voices out there that are going to bring up every little bit of negative thing that has happened throughout the course of his career. And I'm sure this black and gold community as a whole will probably rally behind him, especially once he starts knocking in some bangers. But uh, moving on, a couple other big pieces of news in the LAFC world. Carlitos Cracklitos Vela gets himself an ESPY for the best MLS player following up Diego Rossi's performance. So we now have back-to-back ESPY winners. And for his performance in the game versus SKC Chicho Arango finds himself on the team of the week list. Any thought about those two awards being handed out to our players, amigo? I think it's great that Carlos Vela had won the SB. I'm not sure necessarily how they're voted on. When you look at Diego Rossi and how he had won his SB for last year, that was a look back at 2020 and how Diego had done in the MLS's back tournament. And then when the season resumed and he was dynamic and he was a, a leader in the goal scorer, When you look at Carlos Vela from his 2021 season, I'm not really sure if his work on the pitch, you know, he was injured a decent amount of 2021 too. So it's like, I don't know how he got that award, but congratulations. That's awesome. You know, I'm sure that there's probably a lot of people that watch the ESPYs that were also scratching the same thing. Like if we were to ask me who the top 10 players were in the MLS were in the running for an ESPY, I'm not even sure Carlos Vela would have made my top 10. Yeah. In terms of Arango, though, for, you know, team of the week, I think that that's obviously well-deserved. I think that Chicho has looked very, very good in the sense of how he's putting out these assists. And, and it's oh, it's almost like not being selfish. He's being very much a team player when he's in that role. And he's looking for the opportunities for the open man. When he first came to LAFC, I felt like he had this aura and demeanor about him where he was just, you know, I'm going to be this goal scorer, which is great because that's what we were looking for when we first got him. But now I feel like I've I've seen this version of him where he's a distributor of the ball and he's also looking for other people to make opportunities and almost like a playmaker. Like he's, he's facilitating two roles, which to me, that's, that's the ultimate type of player that you want to have on your team. Yeah. Arango absolute golasso for his goal as well too. difficult angle, top bins, just a beautiful, beautiful shot. It's hard to argue with him being in team of the week, especially with him picking up the dime on Bale's goal as well too. You know, he's integral and, in, containing and creating the pass for the most watched goal of the week and then 
you know, he hit an absolute lightning strike for his as well, too. I, look, at this point in time, Arango's got to start. He's got to get the lion's share of minutes for me right now. And, and there's absolutely no way you can sell a player right now when he's performing this way, unless the offer is absolutely ludicrous in dollar amount for him, in which case, look, you got to take it, you move on. But uh, yeah, look, he, he, he's lighting it up left and right. Before we get into our interview, I, I do have one little soapbox moment, if you'll permit me a moment here. And that in the course of these last two games, I regrettably could not travel away with the black and gold faithful and was watching both these matches on TV. And because of some different Difficult timing of the games around my work schedule. I also did not get a chance to join any of the official watch parties. So I ended up watching these games in a much quieter environment than I would normally watch them. And, and as a result, I, I noticed a couple things in these last two matches that really struck me that, you know, maybe have gone on. And, and just because I'm usually at a loud watch party or in a loud stadium, I haven't noticed. But Chris, I'm curious if you caught on to this as well, too. But in both of our last two away matches, when Cropo is lining up to service the ball, that ugly, nasty goal kick chant has surfaced itself again in both of these last two away matches. And I just, I'm really disappointed that there are still people out there that haven't gotten the message about this yet, that, that this is just inappropriate and unacceptable and has no place in our game. And despite whatever your cultural or personal feelings about this particular chant might be here in the United States, where that term is hate speech, I don't like hearing it at the matches. And it really got under my skin hearing it a couple times throughout the course of the past couple broadcasts. And I'm curious if I'm the only one who noticed this or if you had any thoughts on what you heard in the course of watching the match. I'm going to be honest in that I hadn't heard anything. And it's unfortunate that that's one of those things that the people have to police themselves and the fan base has to police themselves. You know, fans across this whole world are going to do things that not everyone's going to like. And it's, it's one of the uglier sides of looking at social and political conversations and topics. And, you know, we just have to try and encourage each other to do the right thing and to stack. And if you hear it, to to voice your concerns and hopefully the person on the other end of that is receptive to what you have to say. But at the same time, I don't think unless the people in Kansas City or Nashville are policing themselves and being proactive the way LAFC had and trying to prevent that from from happening that's just going to be something that's just going to continue to happen. And it has to start from the top for you to really see a, a change. Well, I hope speaking of the top that this caught the attention of folks like Don Garber and some of the decision makers involved in MLS, both from an MLS side, from these particular clubs, from their fan bases as well too. my experience with Nashville supporters and SKC supporters has been the complete polar opposite of this incident. I know for a fact these chants did not come from the 3252. I have absolutely no idea where they came from in the stadium as far as whether or not there are any other you know, official supporters groups involved or not. They would be reckless to make an insinuation along those lines. I can only assume that this is the casual fan that is simply not aware of the culture. But I would applaud all individuals involved if you are part of that culture. If you are somebody that has the ability to bend the ear of someone that is making these hateful statements in our stadiums, and hopefully we can all work together to create the kind of space where everyone is welcome in our stadiums and no one has to endure that kind of nonsense. Now, certainly overseas and in other leagues, this is 
pale by comparison to the issues that other clubs and other leagues are dealing with. But this is our country. This is our league. We have a right to decide how this happens. And I, I really hope that uh, the parties involved, all of which get together and we can see some positive momentum happen as a result of what I thought was a very ugly thing throughout the course of those matches. But it's going to go ahead and wrap us up for our news and notes section. Thank you for allowing me a moment to soapbox. We will be right back after this break with our guest. This is Nick Cajola, starting trumpet player for LAFC, and you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Do it for LA. Joining us as our guest this week is Joe Reese. He is coming in all the way from London, England. Top of the morning to you there. He is an LAFC fan, amongst other things, a drum educator and session musician. You can check him out online at Joe Reese Drums. That's J-O-E-R-E-E-C-E-D-R-U-M-S. Joe, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, buddy. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here at 4.06 a.m. Extremely early for you, sir. We really appreciate your dedication <laughs> to this Black and Gold podcast, man. Thank you again for making your time for us. Absolutely no worries, man. Well, um, so we can get you back to a quick nap. Let's dive into it here. So first thing we'd like to know, reeling it all the way back, is when did the beautiful game end your life and when did you know you'd fallen in? Um, Quite early on, to be honest. I started going to Fulham at age three. So I started watching Fulham back in Division 3, which is no, no longer exists. This is the, under a different name. But um, we used to play teams that are sadly not in action anymore. So yeah, but yeah, I've been going to Fulham since then. And then grew up with the Premier League, I guess, in 2001 when we got our big break. But yeah, I followed for quite a long time. I've been at home and away season to get older now for 20 plus years. And then followed LAFC in 2018. That's impressive. 20 plus years as a season ticket holder. Did you play all as a kid? I mean, I think all of us in the United States kind of assume that everyone in England is like born with a soccer ball attached to their foot. But just, uh, you know, for the L.A. fan here that might not know, is it something required of you to play or did you ever play uh, collegially at all? Yeah, to be honest, I think a lot of people in England play anyway at school and stuff. I did play. I was okay. I was decent until age 16 when I grew a bit taller and I had to decide either it was drums or football and I kind of took the uh, took the drums route which was fine because I don't mind watching it I still go um but yeah I did play it up until about age yeah 16 and then just made the decision to kind of probably take it to the stands and leave it to the professionals so with that you know tell us a little bit about your drumming career and what you do and how you fell into that passion yeah so um my dad is a drummer my cousins are drummers too, and alongside football every other week, I would go to the drum studio or drum shop here in London. Um, so it was quite a natural thing for me, pretty much like football, to be honest, but I took it quite seriously going into school when we started talking about careers, and I thought this could be interesting. If I play drums for a career, it'd be pretty cool. Um, and it got quite serious at age of 18. I took a job at a drum shop here, and it kind of fell into my into my lap, really. I've always been interested in educating others anyway or passing on knowledge that I can and learning from others. So that also came naturally when I um, took teaching up in 2019. So three years now being full-time teaching. But yeah. What were some of your inspirations as a child? Are there drummers that, uh, you know, any aspiring musicians here in the LAFC world, you would recommend them looking up? Or, you know, who was pivotal in creating your sound for you? Oh, good question. It does change quite a lot, but there is a drummer named Elvin Jones, who I'm studying quite a lot at the moment. If you listen to blues, early blues, early jazz, a bit of Motown, 
Elvin Jones is probably on every record you've listened to from the 60s anyway. He's probably the most known drummer at the moment that I'm listening to. And there's also an educator called Benny Greb. Very, very interesting guy. He's a German drummer. But yeah, I'm trying to branch out and check out pretty much anyone that I can get my hands on really because you can learn anything from you know from every single person you meet especially in the drum world as well because everyone has their own interpretation of the instrument so picking up little things here and there is something I like doing so yeah it's always changing so with that you know football matches in the UK you know definitely is a standard that you would want to see and you know here in in the MLS you know we have our drums and things like that in the north end is that something that is offered with Fulham and or is that something that you'd ever look to be considered to try and get involved with? I think with English football and I think it has to do with culture I think in with the MLS because it's quite a, a, a young league in many respects a lot of teams are still building their own history and building their own building their own part of history right now with, with what they're doing with English teams a lot of us have been around for years and years so it does filter down from fans above me and it i'd say drums isn't too big with the uh with the culture scene here it's more you know a quick 30 second song followed by another one the how quick the songs go in england is crazy and being in an lafc game having a chant go on for a couple of minutes was something completely new to me so the fan side of that the culture side really does show how different it is when you go to a Premier League game, maybe a championship game as well is very different. But um, no, it would be interesting to see how English fans would would fare with the, the amount of drums, especially in the MLS coming in. It could be interesting, but it's very hard to change people's opinion on them, especially after going for so many years without it. Having experienced both sides of the game, the Inchata style of support you see here at LAFC and obviously what you're known to there in Craven Cottage. What experience do you prefer better, being at the cottage or being at the bank? Do you like the more hinchada style with the drums and the chance to go on longer? Or do you like mm-hmm. the more English reactionary quick chance to what's going on in the game? <laughs> that is a very good question because I'm going to get slaughtered either way. I'd probably say atmosphere-wise, I would prefer to be at the bank. It was new to me. I think the whole standing north end a section is very very interesting especially because my club doesn't have safe standing here Fulham isn't known for a quite an intimidating atmosphere it's something that I would always like to have I think at your home ground you need to be having quite an intimidating atmosphere anyway for any team coming to your your stadium so yeah unfortunately I'd probably take LAFC on that one but I'd still prefer the walk to the cottage because if you're in London I don't think you can not do it it's right by the Thames if it's a nice day, there's nothing nicer than walking down the river. There's a couple of pubs on the way as well, if you like that. And yeah, for me, you can't beat that walk. But atmosphere-wise, I think it's got to be LAFC. So talk to us a little bit about how you became an LAFC fan. Tell us a little bit about that story. Tell us about how you made your first trip out here to Los Angeles, seeing a match in person. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you went from being a fan of Fulham to, to being a fan of LAFC. I actually went to Los Angeles in 2016. Went back in 2017 and again in 2018. So I guess I was a frequent visitor to the state anyway um, of California. I was going up north and then come back down to San Diego and uh, Los Angeles. And obviously being a football fan, I was interested in the MLS side of things. I did go to a Carson Galaxy match 
Um, it was an interesting experience, probably one that deterred me away for a while. Um, but I started following LAOC when the announcement came. Um, I was following quite a few people on Twitter about it, actually. Twitter was quite a big thing at that time, and it was coming through. The marketing side of things first got me. Um, I remember watching the Sacramento Republic game in preseason in 2018. It was on the YouTube live stream, I think I found. Um, but yeah, that's how I started following. It was more of a, a city thing, actually. I was engrossed with the city of Los Angeles at the time, and it's, I was finding out a lot more about it. I had friends there, and I was planning to move over there at one stage of my life to teach drums. So both coincided, and to have a team, obviously, I could support over there and make it feel like a second home. Um, I chose to follow LAFC. So describe that first experience at Bank of California Stadium. You know, where did you sit? What was your expectation? What was the experience like versus the expectation when you came to your first LAFC match? I had watching videos prior to going. I was already st- like stoked about going there. Um, I tried, I went on the Metro line. I tried to go the most, I guess, support a friendly way. I wanted to really understand the vibe what was going on so I got there hours before down Christmas tree lane um, I met some friends from the expos and district nine ultras um, so before that I made some connections I actually took two of my friends they were from London at the same time they both support Fulham they were completely oblivious to LAFC they had no idea about LAFC so getting there quite early and experiencing the tailgating is something I'd recommend to everybody um coming from either europe or the uk because that's something we don't do here and the whole experience was yeah it was crazy i mean food at uh, the drink the, the chanting before um this community vibe going on there is is special um and then i was standing in the north end um i didn't know some of the chants that were going on i'm not gonna lie and my accent does come through when i'm singing so there's a few people turning around and thinking, I don't know what this geezer's doing, but I was like, yeah, okay, this is a bit, this is interesting. But no, nah, in all honesty, it was, the game was against Seattle Sounders. Uh, no, sorry, um, Houston Dynamo. I went to the Seattle Sounders game after that. It was Houston Dynamo when we won the Sporters Shield. So I picked a good day to go my first game. Um, and then I think Seattle Sounders maybe a week before, a couple of days before. But um, yeah, the, the Houston Dynamo game, lives long in a memory i have tons of videos from that game so yeah chris so, you you and i were right next to each other for that match we took in that game together from the north end that was a heck of an experience for us too and uh, it was fun so all three of us were in the north end for that match <laughs> yeah it was that was an amazing atmosphere and those are one of those, those are some of those matches that you never forget that carry with you for the rest of your life i was gonna say you boys uh if you remember just three at the time drunk englishmen in, in the uh, North End, yeah, that was probably us because we stuck out like a sore thumb, especially when some of the uh, certain chants were going along. Our voices were pretty loud and everyone just started turning around. But um, yeah, like you said, memories definitely live long, um, especially for that game. I've got tons of footage from it and it was very special to see it live. Yeah, you're going to have to brush up on your Spanish for your next trip to the bank. We're going to make sure you <laughs> learn all those chants. Uh, you're a musician. Look, I'm, I'm sure you can get it down. No problem. I, I have all the faith in you. You mentioned that at one point in time, your career was potentially heading out to Los Angeles. Obviously, COVID-19 kind of threw a wrench in that. But any plans in the future to perhaps once again relocate across the pond to the City of Angels? I'd love to do so. I think COVID did put a wrench in that. Um, unfortunately, I was more than ready to make the step. 
um, about a year ago if things obviously didn't happen. Um, I would still love to go to the States and teach. I think it would be an interesting experience for me just to go over for more than three months this time because my ESTA only allows me to. Um, if the time is right and where I'm at here in London, if I can get up and leave, um, 100% definitely would do it um, just to experience it. But yeah, it's still it's still in the pipeline. I don't think I've put it down um, and you know packed it away. I think the, the plan is to carry on teaching here. I have a drum school and I teach at a few schools here. So the life's okay right now especially after the last two years that everybody's had. So I kind of want some stability for a, a year or two and then hopefully can head out there again. Well, brilliant. Uh, we really appreciate you getting up so early to come and join us. Before we get to our final question, I'm just curious your thoughts on the current form of LAFC. I mean, obviously with the arrivals of Kilini and Bale, it's been a circus around the team of late. Obviously, we feel in the nexus of that whirlwind here in Los Angeles, but I'm sure even the tendrils of this storm have reached their way across the pond to you as well, too. And have you seen an uptick in coverage of LAFC or just discussion about it in the past month or so? Definitely. Yeah. Seeing LAFC on Sky Sports News, which is our main sports outlet here, that was big. It was on our breaking news. Instead of a small snippet of MLS that we get on Sky Sports News, we got a massive breaking news and it was from the bail transfer that was that was big here, um, which is really, really positive for the MLS here um, in the UK with the upcoming Apple TV um, sponsorship deal. Not sure how that's going to pan out. It'd be interesting to see, but it was huge. The talk around the MLS was big. A lot of my friends that follow Fulham, they knew about it. They were following tabs on it and they were thinking, yeah, this is this is quite a big deal. You know, Bale is obviously going into the World Cup in a couple of months. I'm English. So, I mean, him being Welsh and England and Wales being rivals is interesting too. But yeah, it's a, him and uh, Chiellini, like you said, is, is huge signings for LAFC. So yeah, I was in, I'm was i interested to see this third designated player spot. I thought it was going to happen today, but maybe the, uh, the rumours are a bit, yeah, I can't trust everyone. But now LAFC are on everyone's tongue and we've signed two very, very good professionals and still very good in their careers right now. I think you're only going to see more and more rumors when, you know, spots come up and stuff. So yeah, the hype is real here. I think we do need to win the MLS cup this season to follow that hype up. I think it's a big, big season. Um, but so far it's been very, very good, especially away from home as well. Performances have been very, very good. Um, especially going to Kansas city, which is actually quite, a, in my opinion, would be a very, very hard game. The bottom of the league, they need to pick up points. And we went there and, played a very, very professional game. So yeah, looking forward now to um, to a Seattle game. It's always a hard game as well against Seattle, especially at home. So we'll see. I think hopefully we're in a good spot with the Sporters Shield, but yeah, we, we, we need them MLS Cup. Well, amen. I don't think we could agree more on that one. Uh, that, that brings us to our final question today, Joe, for you. The name of the show is Shoulder to Shoulder. It adorns the neck of our kits, that phrase. And it's a phrase that seems to be interpreted differently by so many different people. So we're curious, Mr. Reese, what does Shoulder to Shoulder mean to you, sir? I think the, the, the slogan is very, very fitting to LAFC from the first get-go when I started following on um, Twitter the amount of people that were just interested to see another person, especially in the UK, following the side was so cool. I've met so many friends. Um, I've been to a watch party in the arts district that will live long in the memory. I had met nobody prior before. I turned up on my own 
there were people hugging each other and buying each other beers. And I thought, oh, everybody knows each other. This is a bit awkward. What am I going to do? Um, in seconds, I met people from the Expos and people from Edition 9 Ultras, which now led to me taking them to my club, Fulham, and having beers this side of the of the, uh, of the pond. Um, so it represents community at its highest point, which is one of the most important things for me, especially being from a family club like Fulham. Um, replicating that in the City of Angels is very, very special. Um, and it showed me a different side of Los Angeles that not a lot of people get to see. And I think people should see that side because it's very different from the glitz, glamour and certain things we see about the city. Um, you see the real people, you hear the real stories and to follow the club. Yeah, very, very special. So that's what it means to me. Yeah, shouts to my friend Eddie Magania, one of the fellow leaders from District 9 Ultras, who was out there with you. I saw some of what was going on there, um, and uh, lucky for you, you did not enjoy his nightlife, because Eddie is known to rage it up a little bit. That guy that guy has some fun, but uh, I was following along briefly in some of the pictures that he was sending back, and looks like they had a wonderful time. So thank you for being a gracious host to them when they were out there, and you're always going to be welcome here within the Black and Gold community whenever you get a chance to pop on out, and hopefully you're life brings you this direction permanently but uh even if it's on a temporary basis anytime you're at the bank we'd be more than happy to have you and thank you so much for coming on the show today really appreciate it today once again folks our guest has been joe reese uh he is a drum educator and session musician in london england you can give him a follow at joe reese drums or follow his website joe reese again that's j-o-e-r-e-e-c-e-d-r-u-m-s joe reese drums.com joe cheers sir thank you so much for coming on and joining us yep it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for making this happen it's my first ever pod with lafc so this is very very special thank you again guys appreciate it joe and hey if you ever want to come back on man you're always welcome i got to get rid of the nerves and uh just drink some more coffee as well and i'll be fine uh, next time i promise we won't make you get up at three o'clock in the morning too. Um, our <laughs> yeah, apologies time, on i'm gonna get one. you boys up at this time we're gonna get well, i mean that's slip the side that's what we have to do whenever we want to watch an EPL game. So, you know, myself uh, as an Arsenal fan and Chris as a Liverpool fan, we've had many a 3, 4 a.m. morning to catch a match. So I suppose turnabout is only fair play. But, uh, <laughs> thank you once again. Really appreciate you coming on, folks. We will be right back after this short break with today's opponent correspondent. Hey, it's Kevin Frazier from Entertainment Tonight. And listen, I am an LAFC super fan. So I always make sure I download and listen to Shoulder to Shoulder podcasts. They keep me updated. But more importantly, I get to listen to these dudes' opinions about the team I love the most. Keep doing your thing, guys. Joining us now as our opponent correspondent for the Seattle Sounders is Jackson Feltz. He is the host of Sounders Weekly pre- and post-game coverage for 93.3 FM KJR. Please give him a follow at Jackson B. Feltz. That's Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-B, Feltz, F-E-L-T-S. And you can follow their station at 93.3 KJR. Jackson, welcome to the show. Good to be back, gentlemen. How are you? Yes, I should say welcome back to the show, our reoccurring opponent correspondent. Glad to have you back, brothers. Good to be back. Always fun to talk about these massive matches here coming up on Friday. It's going to be a good one. At the time of recording, we're actually going to have my interview on Jackson's show, the preview for the LAFC match, and he was kind enough to reciprocate it for us this week and looking forward to it, man. It's definitely going to be a good one. Hoping to see Gareth Bale hopefully make that start, but like I had said on the 
on your show earlier in the week that who knows if that's really going to happen. Steven Trendolo has been very conservative when it comes to integrating him into starting minutes. Yeah. And I mean, for our side, we sure hope not to see a lot of Gareth Bale. I mean, we hope to see a fair bit of Raul Ruiz Diaz. Uh, head coach Brian Schmenzer was just on our station about, what, hour, hour and a half ago with myself and Dick Fain. And we straight up asked him about Raul and he said, basically said, no answer. Like, we'll see how the next couple of days of trainings go. We might bring him, we might not. So no idea if the Sounders star striker will, will be available for, for the game on Friday night. But we Sounder fans sure are hoping that he'll be available, especially if you guys have Bale starting. It's funny you bring up Gareth Bale. Well, obviously everybody's bringing up Gareth Bale right now, but so did my Facebook memories because eight years ago today, I was at a game in Berkeley, California, an exhibition summer match in which Gareth Bale scored the one lone goal in an absolute screamer. And I remember thinking at the time, like, what a pleasure it is to be sitting here in California and watching Gareth Bale knocking goals. And yet we'll have that opportunity once again this Friday, fast forward eight years. Funny how these things work out. So let's catch us up a little. We last played somewhat recently on June 18th. It was a 1-1 draw up in Seattle. Ruznik had a goal in the 58th. Chicho then equalized in the 79th. Since then, Seattle are sitting on three wins and four losses. On the season as a whole, 29 points, nine wins, 10 losses, two ties, currently sitting in ninth place. However, with a game in hand, your 1.38 points per game currently would have you eighth in the league. A difficult away record so far this year, three wins, six losses, and a tie. So when we last spoke, you were really confident about the trajectory of this team, despite being relatively low in the table early on. There was the obvious focus on the CCL, but has the team got a little bit of that Conca Champions hangover? And fast forwarding a month now, are you starting to get a little bit of concern about where the team is on the table? A little, just a little. Now, last time we spoke, Obed Vargas was still healthy. And the one major injury that we really we were discussing was Joao Paulo. And the thought was, We'll be fine. Obed Vargas is exceptional. What an outstanding, you know, teenager from Alaska holding it down next to Albert Rusnak. And then Obed Vargas had the lower back stress fracture. And suddenly that spot next to Albert Rusnak in the holding midfield has been a revolving door. We've seen a bunch of different starters there from Kellen Rowe to Danny Leva to just this last weekend, Christian rolled on. And from the, from the comments from Brian Schmetzer today out at training this morning, it sounds like it'll be rolled on again coming up this Friday. Brian said we want to get him a couple games and I would read that as this Friday but that spot's been a revolving door and that has made things a little bit tough here in recent action. That's why you saw a three game losing streak with three consecutive shutouts because in the midfield the Sounders you know, were trying to figure things out. Um, they did figure things out to a pretty good extent against Colorado albeit a man down but you know, it's this interesting you know, situation where the Sounders have been trying to figure out exactly what they're doing in that department until Obed Vargas gets back. And then we hope that that will be before the playoffs, you know, and we hope it'll be at all here in 2022. But yeah, there is a slight concern at this point because after, you know, yes, you got a win against Colorado was massively impressive and it may be the thing that shifts this whole season around but nonetheless i mean in the last four three shutouts and three losses so overall 
my concern level is still very low. If it was a one to a zero back when we spoke before, maybe it's a two to three now, but it's still pretty low because I, I think that they will figure, continue to figure things out. Raul Rui Diaz will get back soon. When he does, offense will kick into high gear. Jordan Morris seemed to figure things out against Colorado. He'll be good. So we'll be fine. We'll get into the playoffs at the end of the day. I have no concern there. But yeah, I mean, in terms of how much the Sounders could really rock and roll once the playoffs begin, um, it'll all come down to how healthy they are. And, and right now, in terms of how healthy they are, that is a little bit of a concern. You know, when you look at your last three matches uh, previous to the winning Colorado, they were close matches for Nashville or Chicago. And of course, the Portland Timbers, when you have the Cascadia Cup matches, those can go anyway. So I don't think that those are matches necessarily where people are looking and thinking that Seattle is necessarily faltering. What is some of the takeaways or some of the changes that you might see that from those three losses, or are we going to kind of see more of the same of what happened in Colorado that got you guys to win? Yeah, I think you're going to see a little bit more from the Colorado where you'll see, as I mentioned, Christian Roldan lineup next to Albert Rusnak. And that then the question becomes, the, the lineup gets pretty easy to figure out from there. Nuhu fully available. He was not available for Colorado. That was a coach's decision situation there with Nuhu. That's over. So now that Nuhu is back, you'll have him. Alex Roldan at your right back, Javier Arriaga, Yamar goes Andrade, your center backs. It sounds like it will be Christian Roldan next to Albert Rusnak in the holding midfield. You have Nicholas Ladero as your number 10, Jordan Morris out on one wing, and we would think Will Bruin or Freddie Montero up top, and then if Raul Ruiz Diaz is available, he would be off the bench, and that's a big if. Um, but then you have the other wing spot, and that's the question mark. We saw Jimmy Madronda start there against Colorado. We saw pretty decent things. You know, I, I love what I've seen from Jimmy Madronda this year, so it's very possible he is announced as the right wing. Uh, you would very likely see Madronda and Jordan occasionally flip sides because Jordan is right-footed. He can cut in. Jimmy's left-footed. He can cut in. But if you want them to really stretch those sides, you would see them flip. So that is kind of probably the best bet. You could see Leo Chu get a start. Uh, one of, uh, he's our young designated player, really, really fast uh, winger from Brazil. You could see, you know, a couple different guys potentially slide in. But at the end of the day, the, the strategy seems, you know, kind of to be to be the Sounders and do what we've done recently, which is we attack on the wings. We put in crosses. We can cut in if we need to. We utilize, uh, you know, big body Will Bruin, great hold up play, kill with speed with Jordan Morris off his side. So that will, and then dominate in the midfield with Christian and Albert, and and get one of them to stay, one of them to go. It's it's pretty simple with the with the with the with the, with the Sounders do. They just do it really really darn well. And we're trying to you know hopefully seeing that consistency in the midfield get back. And and with that consistency, we hope to see some results. Um, you know, I know it'll be a massive test, but um, we 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 have we have good hopes for this game. We think we can pull off something here on Friday. You know, look, you just ran through a laundry list of superstars across this league. So I mean. <laughs> You know, even given the current form and situation, you guys are still putting out a lineup that's that's pretty rock star, right? I think there are many, many teams in the league that would be envious of the lineup that y'all are putting out. So, I mean, amongst all those names, who do you think stacks up the best against LAFC? And if you were a betting man trying to pick your stars for this match, who do you think for Seattle has the best opportunity to step 
up this weekend. Yeah, it's funny because then you were when we talk about matching up with LAFC, then when you start considering the players that Seattle's going against, as much as our lineup's very good, your lineups were just as ridiculous, if not even more ridiculous, like the work that John Thornton's done. Chris and I joked about it on my show. I did take a slight little shot at Thornton in the sense of like, okay, how is he able to do all of this? Like Thornton said that like all these financial rules are, are you know, available things to everybody. Um, but it is quite amazing the amount of talent that LAFC has stacked up. So in terms of like where Seattle can attack LAFC, I mean, I think... The number one thing is do your best to keep him out of the back of the net. And, you know, it's going to take a big game from Yamar Gomez Andrade. It's going to take a big game. Emphasis, you know, underline, italicize, bold, big game from Javier Arriaga because Arriaga has made mistakes since he's come back from the injury list. And that cannot happen against LAFC. You're already going to be able to score even without mistakes, but a mistake on the back end is going to cost Seattle big time. So that's the number one thing. And then Nuhu locking down defensively. I mean, I think Nuhu is a spot where he will pick his moments to go, but facing a team with as much offensive talent as LAFC, he's going to need to stay home probably more than usual. So in that sense, that is where Seattle can can really kind of cover on the back end. Alex Roldan had a phenomenal game against Colorado. You're going to need another uh, phenomenal defensive game. You're going to need one of those again against LAFC. So the defensive end, keeping LAFC down there is, is a big, big, big point for Seattle. And then the offensive end, it really honestly comes down to Jordan Morris because Morris has been developing these chances, even in the losses against Portland and Nashville and Chicago, Morris has been creating chances. I mean, in the Chicago game, he had a couple balls saved that you're kind of just, you know, slamming your head against the wall saying, oh my gosh, that should have gone in if it weren't for a big save. So at the end of the day, Morris creating those chances and then finishing those chances. And we saw him finish the chance against Colorado. We saw him create a penalty kick against Colorado as well in the 71st that ends up being the game winner. So, so Jordan Morris is kind of, you know, be creative, find your moments. And if you can find a moment or two of creativity from Jordan, having Nico help him. And if you're able to hold LEFC to a goal, then yeah, I fully believe that a a one, one result, if not a two, one win is fully within the realm. I see a road to that. It's just going to take everything lining up perfectly. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's Lloyd Christmas. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yes, there is a chance. You know, we had talked about it on your show, and I, I think that LAFC needs to come out and make a statement about this match. You know, Seattle has definitely been a team that has played spoiler from time to time when it comes to LAFC. And there is always that in the back of your head, you're aware of their ability and what they can do in the postseason. Right now, you're sitting outside of the playoff spots by simply one point with a match in hand on the teams above. So you're well within striking distance to potentially be in the middle of the pack and host a home match. What are your expectations for this match this upcoming Friday? And how have your predictions for the overall season changed from the last time we've had you on? They have changed a little bit. I think because of the injury to Obed Vargas, I think, you know, just looking at realistically where I thought before, you know, last month before the injury to Vargas, that, that this team could easily go and challenge for the top of the conference and they would go on a massive streak in the second half, which we've seen many times before. And, you know, injuries are so unpredictable that injuries popped up Raul Obed and now the expectation is as it was before you know getting a a, a top two top three spot now it's kind of just you know if you can get a home game get a you know four or five seed I think that would be great you're going to have these you know I wouldn't say patchwork lineups but you're going to be working on finding that consistent 
consistency in the lineups here for the next little bit. But if you can stay healthy, then there's no doubt with the the situation with the table as it is right now being so close. I think getting in is not a not a problem. But then rising up some spots, that'll take some points and that'll take consistency and finding that consistency. And I think it is it is fully within the realm of this team to get all the way up to a number two spot. That is absolutely possible. It will just take a lot of work and, a, and staying healthy. So right now, the expectation is to get a fourth or fifth seed. I mean, the hope is to rise even further. Now, in terms of you know this match here of what I want to see. I want to see kind of what I talked about, lockdown defensively. I mean, no mistakes, no mistakes. I cannot emphasize that enough. From Ariaga, from Nuhu, when he chooses to go, getting back. Uh, Alex Roldan having another big game. And then that partnership of Albert Rusnak and Christian Roldan looking just as good as it looked against Colorado because it looked very good. And if those things can happen with the with that back six, I think we're in for good things. So I'm expecting you know, good performances out of everybody. And then on the offensive end, I would expect Jordan Morris to create a couple chances and Nicholas Ladero to, to create another. If we look back at this game and we say the Sounders had three or four great chances, if we can say that they capitalized on one or two of them, and, and one would be the expectation, two of them would be great. But my thought in this game is, is hold LAFC down, score on one of your great chances, walk away with a point in this game. That would be a, be a great result for Seattle. Seattle is always a phenomenally well-coached team. Throughout the Bob Bradley era of LAFC, the 4-3-3 was pretty attacking-minded. Uh, the idea of possess the ball, move it forward, and constantly be on the attack obviously led to some prolific goal scoring, but it led to some defensive lapses, and there was a lot of 4-3, 5-4 games for early LAFC. In the new Dolo era, we seem to see a team that is much more content in yielding the possession, sitting back and counterattacking. Do you think that at all changes the tactics that Seattle have coming into this game? Or do you think they're going to play as they typically would against LAFC and look to yield the possession and counter themselves with a high press? I think that's exactly right. The latter. You know, and one thing that Brian Schmetzer, and you're all right, Seattle's so well coached from, from Brian to his assistant coaches. You know, I mean, our assistants are ridiculous from, you know, we have, you know, Precky, the MVP, to Freddie Juarez, who decided to leave the head coaching job at RSL to come be our assistant. Uh, then you have Andy Rose, who passed up playing again this year with Vancouver to then coach Seattle, and he has a long history uh, in, in playing in this league. And then you have Tommy Dutcher, who's the best goalkeeping coach in, in America. Brian and his coaches care more about doing what we do and and in, in continuing Seattle system. And we talked about it earlier, staying simple in that system, but just executing it perfectly. And I would think that Seattle is is okay yielding a little bit more possession. Um, it just happened to work out in Colorado where that first half, Seattle went down one nothing in the third minute, and then they ended up at the 45-minute mark with 74% possession. It just happened to work out that way because they were down a goal, and Colorado said, all right, we're just going to sit back because – we have a goal and we're going to time waste, time waste, time waste. And all they did was time waste in the opening 45 minutes. <laughs> Even in the fifth minute, Colorado was up one nothing in the third. In the fifth minute, Colorado was already time wasting. It was ridiculous. But it just happened to work out where Seattle got the possession. In this type of a game, I think Seattle gets back, especially if it is, you know, 11 on 11 and no goals are, you know, you know happen right off the bat. I think they will be more in the realm of, of let's get to how Seattle plays, which is you know, we're okay not having 
having a lot of possession because at the end of the day, you know, possession only means a good thing if you have it in the right areas. And if you do things with possession, Casey Keller on our broadcast talks about that all the time. What does possession matter if you're just kicking the ball around your own half? Like it, it matters if you have it in their team's third and it matters if you're creating chances with that possession. So um, I think Seattle cares about that more than anything else and, and taking those opportunities and making sure when Jordan goes, when Jordan makes a big run, uh, down that left side, you are making those runs count. Um, and it may not happen, you know, all the time, but when they do happen, you want to make him lethal on the offensive end. Wow. looks like it's going to be Jordan Morris versus Giorgio Chiellini. Gosh, that seems like, uh, an exciting match to check out. Well, uh, Jackson, thank you so much for rolling through. Once again, folks, our opponent correspondent this week has been Jackson Feltz. You can follow him at Jackson B. Feltz. He is the host of Sounders Weekly, their pre- and post-game coverage for 93.3 KJRFM. You can follow them at 93.3 KJR. Sir, thank you so much for coming back and joining us. We really appreciate it. And folks, we'll be right back with the final segment of today's show after this quick break. What's up, familiar it's your boy here once again, the Hood Foodie. And today you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. So make sure you guys come out, support, and tell them that the Hood Foodie sent you. All right, Chris, we've heard from our opponent correspondent. We're all ready to preview our upcoming game versus the Seattle Sounders. Now, look, we know Seattle haven't had the greatest run of form since we last played them. Just three wins out of seven games, four losses. Despite their early CCL dominance, that hangover still seems to be dragging its way out a little bit. This team has the firepower to go out and win any game on any given day. Are you surprised at, at Seattle's performance so far this year? Hanging around that eighth, ninth seed below the playoff line, despite the fact that they've caught up for the most part. I believe they're on the same number of games played as us. So they're really only one game behind those teams in front of them. And uh, they are very close to being on the wrong side of that playoff line. Of course, still a lot of season left. But what are your thoughts on Seattle so far this year after those CCL highs? They seem to be on some lows, Amigo. If you were to look at the standings right now, and let's just say Seattle were to beat LAFC this upcoming Friday, Seattle would jump from ninth into fifth place. So you know, no, I'm not concerned with Seattle in the place that they're at. Fifth place right now is FC Dallas sitting on 32 points. Nashville's on 31. Galaxy and Portland are at 30. And there's Seattle at 29. Th that is well within striking distance of being not only in the playoff picture, but in the middle of the playoff pack. RSL is one spot above them at 33. And Minnesota is one spot above them with 34. So when you look at positions three through nine, there's only five points that separate them. That is a good run from Seattle. That's all it takes. And then boom, Seattle's sitting in third place. And this is a team that we have all talked about because we have to respect the fact that they have consistently over the last decade, they've been able to get it together when it matters at the end of the season and make these late season runs. I think that Seattle is going to be a team that we are going to have to go through to get to the MLS championship and if we tie and we don't win and we have to win because it's one of those things where the momentum and the confidence is going to follow you through we have to win this game so that we know when it comes to the postseason hey we've already beat them once we know that we've done it we can do it again so i think that 
you know, this is going to be a match that is going to foreshadow potential situations in, in the postseason. I think that we can't overlook Seattle in their, in their most recent run of form. And we have to understand that they are coming to win. They know how to play, you know, they might play up fast and quick and try and get a one goal lead and then park the bus. And then we'll have to try and figure out a way to score, you know, while they're doing that, that's not something that is uncommon to what Seattle has done with us in the past. So I think that if we overlook that and don't give them their due diligence and the credit that it could bite us at the end. I think those are all excellent points. I never expect Seattle to come to town regardless of their run of form and have any of that affect how they play LAFC. They step up when they play us. And it doesn't matter if they've lost three straight, six straight, nine straight. When they come to the bank, they bring their A team and they typically perform very well against us. I think this is going to be a tight match. And I don't think we're going to see a Seattle that is still suffering from that CCL hangover. I think we're going to see a Seattle that's going to start thinking, look, it's time to get everything firing in the right direction and make that playoff push. So now I suppose it's, it's time for predictions, my friend, I'm gonna let you go first. What do you think the prediction is for LAFC Seattle Friday night at the bank? I think it's uh, it's going to be a very, very close match at halftime. I think that it's still going to be a nil-nil at half. But then I think that we're going to come through in our second half and the floodgates are going to open and LAFC is going to win 2-1. I think LAFC is going to win 2-1. There's going to be three goals in the second half and LAFC is going to pull out the victory. LAFC have had a lot of moving parts. And so far against you know some poorer teams, we've been able to see our way through that and find our way to a victory. I love the first 45 minutes we're getting from Chiellini. I think he really holds down that back line. But Seattle is a team that you make one mistake and they will pounce on it and they will score. And I've yet to see this LAFC team go through a game without making the kind of mistakes that I view a Seattle team as pouncing on. I think we probably give up one in each half and we end up conceding two goals on the night. I do think we can put two in in the second half. It, it really comes down to whether or not LAFC are going to be able to find that first half goal for me. And with the potential arrival of a Luis Suarez, I think that is going to light a fire under the people like Bale, Vela, Opoku, Arango, that are constantly seeing their minutes potentially fading away. And I think LAFC goes ahead and gets that first half goal. We'll go into the half 1-1 and the night's going to finish. 3-2 LAFC in a five-goal screamer Friday night at the bank, and I think we end up walking away with the dub. That's my two cents on it. Any final thoughts on this upcoming match, my friend? No, I just, like I said, I think it'll be a potential foreshadowing of what we might see in the postseason and just hope that LAFC comes out and they show us why we believe that they should be the MLS favorites. Brilliant. Well, with that, folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for episode 129. We'd like to thank Joe Reese for joining us as our guest. You can give him a follow at Joe Reese Drums. That's at J-O-E-R-E-E-C-E Drums. And of course, we'd like to thank Jackson Feltz for joining us as our opponent correspondent. Please give him a follow at Jackson B. Feltz or follow the radio station 93.3 FM KJR at at 93.3 KJR. On behalf of Chris, Christian, myself, and sound engineer Wilton, we'd like to thank you all for listening to episode 129.
Take us home, Sticks.